This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Oakland A's, winning the series two games to one Red Sox have only lost one series since May 13th. Just a side note. Boston still is fourth place in the American league East currently 13 games back from the New York Yankees still, however, in possession of that final wildcard spot Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. How are you, Jason? I'm good. Um, I'm a little sick of seeing the AL West though like is is anyone else just done with these Oakland series and the Seattles and the I mean even the Angels like who we expected to be a little bit better maybe they will be when they get some more guys back but boy that division's just kind of a pile of garbage and uh just not really competitive games Red Sox let one go today obviously but yeah just I don't know it's I'm a little sick of seeing that division I'm, I'm ready to move on from the west for sure we blew the season sweep today. Had we won it, um, yeah. we would have been undefeated against Oakland. See, I look at the uh, the AL West as rehab. Like the Red Sox, they had a problem, you know. They were kind of in the gutter, went to rehab, all fixed, hopefully. So we'll see. We, we're going to have a big reality check here uh, starting the 28th uh, when we go to Toronto. Joining us tonight, also uh, from the Mile High City of Denver, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. How are you? I'm sweating, man. I'm sweating the Celtics tonight. I'm sweating because it's like 101 out in Denver right now. It just, it's making for a horrible combination. (laughs) Yeah, um... Is what it is, man. Uh, big game for for Boston. 
Yeah, it's going to be funny because we're going to obviously record in the second show in between <laughs> the game. So hearing our tones could be a lot different. Yeah. Could be expletives for me on the on the uh, next one, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll hope for the best. Yeah. Deep dives. Normally we would record immediately following this show, but we're going to watch the game and then record that one after. So we'll see. Uh, I'm always terrible at remembering, but Jason, your Twitter handle, so people can yeah. harass you and stalk you. Yeah, yeah. If you want to harass me, it's at Color of the Iris on Twitter. Andrew, mine's at Andrew Dwan MLB. Very good. Okay, so Red Sox keep winning series, and I don't know. We'll get into the the St. Louis series. That's probably not going to be a cupcake series by any means, but um, we're going to have them next, and then we've got Detroit, which should be manageable. Uh, a little bummed we couldn't bank another win today because we're we're seven and fourteen against our own division, so we've only won seven out of uh, twenty one games. And July is very AL East heavy. So I just think a lot of these wins are uh, critical despite the boringness that Jason's pointed out. So we'll uh, we'll get into a lot of it. So uh, Red Sox win the first game 6-1. to one. Pavetta got the start in that one. Game 2, 10-1. Red Sox win that one with Josh Winkowski starting. Game three today, a four to three loss with uh, Rich Hill on the mound. So those were the final scores of all three games. So let's get into it. The Red Sox won the series. We're going to start on the studs side. Andrew, who's your stud for this series? So I went with the middle game. I went with Josh Winkowski. Um, He came back and pitched a hell of a game. Some people are going to be like, you know what? It was against Oakland, but you know what? His first game was against Baltimore, so I will absolutely take it. His stuff really played well. Uh, he looked absolutely amazing out there. That sinker looked extremely heavy. His changeup was about a mile per hour slower than it was in the previous game, so that played up a little bit better. Um, he looks like he could be in up and down, you know, spot start, fifth starter for this team, and that position is extremely valuable. So if they have that depth that they can, that they know they can go to um, they're in business because again, this isn't a rotation that won't get dinged up. We've seen it. We see sale and Paxton both obviously still recovering. We see um, uh, Evaldi down for the count right now. So having that trust out in Worcester, uh, it's a great, great thing to have. Yeah, it never hurts to have extra depth at pitching, it, especially if you are contending for the playoffs and you expect to go deep in the playoffs, which I do think the Red Sox want to do. And Andrew mentioned it, like, you know, Sale and Paxton are coming back, but again, these are two guys that are coming off of some pretty big injuries, so setbacks are a part of that. That may still happen. Ivaldi and Whitlock just landed on the I.L., so it's a pitching staff that is going to get dinged up, and they have already. So for a guy like Josh Winkowski, who we've heard a lot about, um, you know, especially everyone, I, I feel like Red Sox Nation is still divided on 
the Andrew Benintendi trade and, you know, the crowd that is in favor of it, Winkowski's their guy. He's, you know, he's one of the prizes of that, of that trade. And after that Baltimore start, a lot of us are sitting there going, geez, really? That this is what you got for Andrew Benintendi? Um, but he looked much better this series. It, it was a good bounce back for him. Certainly a far cry from how he looked against Baltimore. So that's huge. Um, how much he'll be effective later in the season is hard to tell. It, it's hard to tell what his role exactly will be. But for right now, he's giving you exactly what he needs to give you. You've got two starters on the IL and two other starters who aren't ready to come back yet. So here, here's his opportunity. He has a chance to come in and provide you quality innings against, granted, a lower opponent in the Oakland Athletics. Their offense is, quite frankly, a joke. I mean, that that lineup is a 4A lineup at best, if we're being honest. But he did what he's supposed to do against a lineup like that. So good on him. Um, I hope he keeps it up. Again, not much. Not sure how much more we'll see of him, but if we do see more, I hope it's more like today because uh, it's going to make that trade and, and everything else feel a lot better going forward. I was impressed. I, I figured this was a good situation to start him, you know, a relatively safe one. Uh, the walks were, were way down. Uh, in this outing, he had uh, four against Baltimore in his May 28th start. Just one walk this time out. So uh, not giving up a ton of free bases. He gave up four hits, two of which were in the fifth inning, uh, which ended up being his last. So there wasn't a, really a ton of traffic on the bases prior to that. It, it was just a, a very good, solid start. And there's not really enough room to keep him up here. I mean, he might get what one or two more starts maybe at, at this point, probably just one more, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't think they'll need him for two more starts. True. Actually. Yeah. I was thinking more Salem Paxton. Yeah. They're further out. So Whitlock and Evaldi um, should be back. Take him on back the, on the 24th. So what's the, the 15th. Yeah. So that's one more start. Most likely. Um, how, Andrew, do you remember where Winkowski was ranked in the Kansas City system, roughly? Was he top 10, top 15? He wasn't. Well, he was in uh, Toronto and then the Mets. And then what we did was oh, he that came, was uh, okay. Khalil Lee. Yeah, he got flipped to the Mets, and we got Winkowski from them. I guess the Red Sox were trying to get Winkowski previous to that and this is how they finally got their hands on him and where was he ranked previously before coming to Boston I, I'm not too sure okay. those systems differentiate I, so much I should have looked it up before we came on but um, he's certainly looking like a bona fide starting pitcher you know probably more middle of the rotation I'm guessing um, I We'll see where his ceiling is. He was coming off of a pretty good outing uh, in Worcester. He he went seven innings um, and uh, I don't think gave up a run. And the scouting report on him apparently is he doesn't walk many people at all. Like he's not a guy who who typically does that. So 
I'm just super curious to see where he ends up. And I just think we're too crowded this year uh, to really see a lot out of him. Uh, barring some bold moves in July, I, I don't think we would trade from strength necessarily. Um, but I, I think a guy like Rich Hill is who pitched okay today. I don't see him pitching for the Red Sox beyond July with all this depth that we have. Yeah, cer- certainly not in the in a starting uh, kind of kind of role. So I think you're right. I think Winkowski's a guy who, at this moment, just has to bide his time until a spot opens up for him. And yeah, maybe he gets another start here or there later this year. But he could be the guy that once Ivaldi walks at the end of the year, once Rich Hill is done at the end of the year, that's where his opportunity comes. Yeah, and I think he proved that he's more valuable than just a two-inning guy, kind of like the Whitlock role of last season. So if if he gets you anything, you know, if he's a fourth or fifth starter, that's huge. I mean, those inning eaters are beyond valuable. I, I'm, I really do hope that when they have a doubleheader, because I'm pretty sure they have some in the second half, that he is going to be able to, you know, be one of those guys starting. And, yeah, I, I agree with you, Terry. I don't see Rich Hill here for, you know, I don't see him finishing the season. Yeah, he's just one of those guys who's almost guaranteed to be traded uh, every every year. He's definitely renting when he signs with the team. I'm also wondering, though, could Winkowski, I mean, I, I don't want to say emergence because it, it was one good start, but if he rattles off another three or four in whatever opportunities he has, that could also seal a guy like Nate Evaldi's fate as far as coming back next year, I would think, because we're, we're looking pretty crowded next year with Sale, Paxton, Walk is only on a one-year deal, so who knows there. But you got Pavetta, so you're up to three right there. Whitlock, I'm assuming, is going to start for now, despite the clamoring of going in the bullpen. I think long-term, he's he's still a starter. So I just – and then Bayo it was probably going to be up next year. So I, I don't even see a guy like Avoldi coming back with all this depth that we have. It's kind of funny because I think before the season started, we were sitting here going, wow, the Red Sox pitching pipeline sucks. Like they, they really don't have anyone. And we were sitting here going, we don't want to give Nate Evaldi an extension, but you might be forced to just because they have no depth. Now that depth is starting to starting to show up, whether it's Winkowski or like you mentioned, Brian Bayo, who is blowing the world away and is quickly accelerating through the system. So I think you're right. I, I think Evaldi's gone after this year. I, I can't imagine that they would feel the need to bring him back. The only way they would is if it was on short money for like a maybe two-year extension with an option for a third, something like that. I certainly would not give Nathan Evaldi a four-plus-year contract or anything like that um, to stay here. And, and I think they feel the same way. So, you know, it's good to see that they're in that position where the pitching depth is starting to emerge to the point where you can see a guy like Nathan Navaldi walk and go, you know what? We're okay. We'll be fine. Yeah. To me, I don't know. That's a hell of a lot of question marks 
without having anything like overly established. Uh, I still anticipate that they'll try to dive into the Asian market next off season. Um, you'll have some arms coming over. Obviously that's not a guarantee as we've seen with a lot of these guys wanting to go to the West coast or anywhere that's warm. Um, I think it's in Nate's best interest and in our best interest to get something worked out. Although I can absolutely see the Rangers uh, blowing him completely out of the water. And in that case, I wouldn't even be mad if he took whatever they offered him. Cause you know, if you can end your career going home and maybe get an up and coming team that you can provide some uh, veteran leadership towards, I mean, he, he's already got his ring. I think the Rangers might've actually been the runners up uh, in late 2018 when we ultimately uh, went to a fourth year to get Evaldi. Uh, another thing, uh, just another observation before we moved on, the Red Sox took quite a while to name Winkowski the starter. And uh, what was it? It was after game one, Cora said in the post-game press conference, we're not ready to name a starter, but it's not going to be a bullpen game and the starter's coming up from Worcester, basically. Was there any thought, do you think? Like, was there a lot of back and forth on maybe bringing up Brian Bayo instead of Winkowski? Do you think that's what was the delay? Because Bayo was on normal rest, and he, he pitched the same night as Winkowski um, and, and struck out eight batters in, in that Worcester game. Could he have been the starter? Like, was that a possibility for a brief moment? The only reason I would say possibly is because it was against Oakland. And if you're going to call up a kid that quick who has accelerated that quick, you want a soft landing spot. You know, if this was a game against the Yankees and Yankee Stadium, then I'd say no way. No, it was always going to be Winkowski and they never would have considered it. But I don't know, at home against that Oakland lineup, they may have given a, a little bit of a thought to it, but, you know, and maybe that was a debate that happened in the front office. And eventually they said, you know what, let's go with Winkowski. But I, I would say there's at least a 30% chance that they at least talked about Bayo potentially being the guy. I'm going to say no, um, just because what has become pretty evident is that Bloom really values AAA. Uh, Dombrowski era, I think you would have seen Bayo, uh, but he's also aggressively pushed guys and kind of, you know, jumped some tears there. But, you know, we've seen how they've handled Tristan Cassis when he was healthy, you know, getting extended playing time in AAA. Uh, Duran, like, we're going to give you a lot of time in AAA. Connor Wong, a lot of time in AAA. And, you know, just – those guys, even in the systems below, they haven't been overly aggressive with uh, promoting them. So I don't know. I think this was Winkowski. I know uh, Worcester took a while to do their um, rotation as well. So I'm not too sure what was going on with that. But yeah, I, I think it was always Josh. Okay. I, and it might have been. I just I just thought it would have been really easy to end the speculation and name him the starter <laughs> right away. So it was kind of it was kind of puzzling there. It just randomly, I think Theo Epstein with position players had a hard rule that they were going to get 400 at bats at every level of AAA. 
and just really disciplined. I don't know what his pitching um, mentality was, but but we'll see. He didn't have a pitching mentality. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he never developed a pitcher outside of Lester. <laughs> the first couple of years. Yeah, outside of those guys. Lester, that, yeah. But if you look at Chicago, literally, he never brought he never developed a single pitcher in Chicago, a single one yeah, in Chicago. True. True. If you want to be extra generous though with Boston, you could throw Buck Holtz in there. But um all right. So uh We'll just see what Winkowski's future brings, but I think he'll get one more start, and uh, I'd love to see it. And if it's if it's an epic one, you know, if he goes six innings with a bunch of strikeouts, uh, that's gonna create some interesting dialogue, uh, you know, with with the fan base and the media and and what have you. All right, Andrew, you're stud for the series. Me, me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Cushman committed oh. an error. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. All good. Um, my stud is J.D. Martinez, who continues to be just an absolute hit machine for this team. Uh, five for 12 in the series, hit one out uh, in the first game of the series, hit another double, uh, you know, just continues to rack up extra base hits. The power is now starting to come. Still only has, you know, eight home runs, but, hey, he's, again, he's just an absolute hit machine. He's second in the league in hitting. In terms of average, he's sixth in all of MLB in total hits. Um, you couldn't ask more from a DH. Maybe you could ask for some more power, but you have enough power throughout the rest of the lineup that I really don't think that matters. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch. Like if JD Martinez, if this is what he's going to be, if he's going to be a doubles hitter and just an on base guy with a little bit less power, you know, in this later stage of his career. I think you take that because we were talking about Jamie Martinez as a guy that we couldn't wait to get his money off the books and we couldn't wait for him to open up that DH spot so that they have more lineup flexibility when Casas comes up and all these other young guys. Now I think you have to look at and say, Jamie Martinez is proving that, hey, at whatever it is, 34, 33, 34 years old, like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm still one of the best hitters in baseball. And I'm still an immensely, you know, important part of this lineup. So he just continues to rack up the hits, continues to do what he does. And he's, you know, again, it's been like him and Devers, really. They're, they're your offensive catalyst for the entire year. So um, it's great to see him keep it going. I hope that, you know, he doesn't run out of steam in, in the second half. It doesn't look like he will, though. So keep it rolling as much as he can because – now you're potentially looking at a situation where J.D. Martinez might be a guy that you want to give a contract extension to. Maybe you don't want him walking out the door. Um, and maybe that DH spot is just going to be his for as long as he wants it. Yeah, the you know the line drives have turned into some power lately, and that's extremely welcome to this lineup that's pretty much been doubles-oriented. They do need you know the occasional home run. And J.D., you know, I think what we saw last year when he started to fade a little bit was a lot of, uh, you know, time in the field. And he's getting none of that, which I think has made an enormous difference in just his stamina, the player he is in the production. So I think if they continue this and limit him to maybe like one or two games total in the field, 
<laughs> the rest of the way. I think we can keep him healthy and really, you know, gear him up for a big playoff stretch because July is an enormous month. We have to go into July healthy, and an enormous part of that is J.D. Martinez. Um, he has to be 100%. We can't have him at 80, 85, guys taking random days off. He, We need that lineup completely and fully ready to go day in and day out because it's all it's the AL East month that's all it is just uh looking at the uh, game logs here he has hit safely in 47 out of 53 games so only six of the 53. Has he not recorded a hit? And if I uh, if I got it right, he has reached base safely in uh, forty nine of those uh, fifty three via the walk. So either a walk or hit in forty nine out of fifty three. He's having an unbelievable year. I don't know if on paper this is going to be better than uh, 2017 when he went nuts and helped get the Diamondbacks into the playoffs or perhaps uh, 2018 when he and Mookie seemed to be racing for it, even though you know Mookie was going to win it anyway, given his elite defense. But this is a guy that's just – I just – it's going to create a lot of interesting situations uh, this winter. I asked on social media today, would Bloom go three years on him to appease Boris? Why not? I, at this point, I say, why not? If he's strictly a DH, why not? I, we, we've seen MLB players now still produce into the late thirties, even into their forties. Um, especially when they get to play DH full time, you know, name it, Nelson Cruz, Albert Pujols, you name it. Like they can still be productive players. So three years that as long as it's not extravagant money, which I don't think it will be. Cause again, I, I label JD as one of those guys that actually wants to stay in Boston. He's, he's been screaming at the rooftops that he wants to finish his career in Boston which you don't often see in this city. So I think for reasonable money, three more years. Yeah. Why not? I, I would absolutely do it if I'm bloom. Uh, I think I have to be at 18 or less a year and maybe two in a vesting, uh, vesting option. Um, three is a long time. I don't know. He's, you know, it's not a question of him being in shape or anything. I just don't know if they're, quite ready to make that sort of commitment to him i i hope they do if he continues this though if he proves he can play 145 plus games then it's probably worth it but we'll see how he uh finishes the year as well but if he's getting offers north of 18 million i i I don't see it happening i don't know if the annual value matters a ton i i think with bloom it's more the years and i think somebody's gonna give him a three-year deal so from here, does J.D. Martinez love Boston enough to take a two-year deal if, if that's 
the furthest the Red Sox go, and he'd be bucking his agent, Scott Boris, who's already not very happy with the Red Sox, uh, the way the Xander Bogarts negotiations have been going. Same agent uh, for the two players. So that's my hope. That's what I'm clinging to, that he'll he's just going to be willing to take two years because he's comfortable here, probably has a house here. I just don't know. He's always been all about the money. Yeah, he would almost have to adopt like a Tom Brady sort of mentality where he's okay taking shorter-term deals for good money, but shorter-term deals knowing that, okay, look, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I understand that no one's going to give me, you know, a five-, six-year deal, but I really want to play in Boston because I really feel like they'll put the team around me that if I do take a two-year deal, I might win two World Series in those two years. Whereas if I take a four-year deal from the Miami Marlins, great, I get four years and maybe a little bit more money, but I'm not going to win anything. So it, it really does depend on the player. It depends on what JD wants. Does he want the money and the job security, or does he want win? And one thing he's going to have to understand is he is – one, two, he's fourth in the pecking order. He's going to be the fourth order of business with that team. So if he wants a quick deal, he's not getting it. I'll tell you that much right now, unless he signs in season. Uh, it goes in some combination, Devers, Xander, and Nate, you know, however you want to label, you know, number of those guys. Um, those are going to be the three biggest allocations or potential allocations of funds and JD is going to have to sit back because they're going to have, they'll, unless they reset the tax this year. I mean, it, it all depends on when you want to go into the tax and start the calendar. You know, you try to only be in the tax when you think you can have a shot at the world series. That's why I'm not, I wouldn't be too shocked if they did move a smaller piece at the deadline this year to get slightly under it. Cause then you can go over it next year, vice versa. So I don't know if he wants a quick deal. Um, it's not coming for Boston. Well, this is the way I look at it. And I, I we, we do differ as we've kind of already pointed out. Like I don't think of all these coming back because I think another team is going to give him more years than what Bloom's willing to, to give. And I think Xander's gone. I really think he's gone. I, and I think he's going to be an extremely late signing uh, next winter if he's a free agent. I think his market's going to drag out a little bit because you got Correa in front of him. He's going to be more coveted, and it's probably going to take even a little while to sign him. You got Trey Turner, who's starting to really heat up. So, I mean, I, I don't know if JD's coming back at all. I'm, I'm just trying to to map out a path. He turns. Uh, 35 on August 21st. So his next deal will take him into his age 38 season. If it's a three-year deal, we'll see, but he's going to be a hard guy to replace. And if you don't think you can sign Xander, I think, I think there is an earlier path to JD because Bloom's going to be like, well, we can't lose them both. We can't lose them both. And we got Devers no matter what, you know. Well, and, and we've talked about it that, like, you know, Costas is a lefty. Devers is a lefty. Verdugo's a lefty. Like, 
this lineup and, and even their depth in a way is filled with left-handed bats. Like JD is a proven right-handed bat. Maybe not so much a power bat anymore. He may not hit 35 home runs anymore, but he's still good for 20 to 25. So do you really want to let him and like you said, if Bogarts is gone, which I agree, I think he is too. Do you want to let two right-handed power bats walk out the door for nothing when you could possibly bring back JD? Although, yeah, the age might be concerning, but if he if you bring him back for three years at under 20, is that the worst thing ever? I don't think it is. And we all know the Red Sox have the money to spend, especially if you're not going to spend it on Xander Bogarts. So if you're not spending money on him anyway, then why not allocate that money towards a guy who has proven himself? I just, I think there is a path to bring him back. It's a, it's an intriguing situation that could go 10 different ways. So um, we'll see, but I hope JD continues to um, make it hard for Hein Bloom <laughs> this, uh, this winter. All right. So I am going with Nick Pavetta as my stud and He's been a stud several times over in the last several weeks. And, I mean, eight innings pitched. His pitch count got up a little too high to to flirt with his second uh, complete game of the season. Uh, only three hits, did walk two, only struck out three, which is a little weird coming off of an 11 strikeout game. But um, very just quietly in control all night had some run support so wasn't a ton of uh, pressure there either but I think Nick Pavetta is officially the ace of the Red Sox at this point I would put him ahead of Nathan Avoldi. Pavetta punches guys out and let me point this out as well I I, I tweeted this on uh, social media the other day I'm not saying it's going to happen, and I'm quite certain it's not going to happen. But if you look at Rick Porcello's trajectory in 2016 to get to the Cy Young, Nick Pavetta, very similar. Very rough start. And then before you knew it, looking like a bona fide ace. And he could lose his mechanics next time out and get thumped his next couple of starts. Not going to be shocked there, but he is having the best season of his career at this point. So had to be my stud. Yeah, I watching that start, I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't given up the home run to Steven Vogt. Would would Core have let him stay in there for the complete game shutout? His pitch count was getting high. Um, you were up by six runs at that point. So the game was pretty much in hand, but he did give up the late homer to vote. And then that pretty much sealed it. You know, Cora took him out after that. And that was that. Um, but look, Pavetta has been incredible. And he's still to, in my opinion, is Kyan Bloom's best trade or best move that he's ever made. Getting Nick Pavetta for Heath Hembry and Brandon, Brandon Workman, both whom are out of baseball at the moment. Um, just an incredible move. Um, he also got Siebold in that deal too. So, you know, really looking good. Um, yeah, Pavetta, I, I don't know if I'm willing to put him ahead of Ivaldi 
as like the ace. Like if you were to ask me right now, you got to pitch a one game playoff against the Yankees. Who do I go for? I'd still lean Evaldi just because Evaldi's done it before. But man, Nick Pavetta is making a case for becoming the best pitcher on this staff with the best stuff and, you know, showing it consistently. I mean, he's got, I think, the best mix of that big breaking ball, the, the, the high power fastball. You know, he's able to throw hitters off in a way that I don't think Evaldi quite can. Um, I still think Evaldi relies too heavily on his fastball, whereas I think Pavetta just uses his to set up everything else. So he's been great. Um, again, just the fact that you have this guy under team control for as long as you do, he's going to be such a great asset to that rotation. And it looks like a disaster in April. He made an adjustment, turned things around. He's been great ever since. So I would love to see him just keep it going, make the all-star team, you know, be, be the good number two in this rotation, especially with Sale and Paxton coming back. You don't know what you're going to get out of those guys you do know what you're going to get out of Nick Pavetta. So he's been awesome, and uh, he's he's just been great to watch. Hopefully he keeps it up. Yeah, he continues to impress. I mean, it, it all goes back to that in-game adjustment he made, which you don't see every day. You know, you guys just don't figure it out in the middle of, like, the fifth inning or whatever it is. But – I, I don't know. I don't want him to keep throwing complete games. I kind of, you know, I don't want to see him break down because they are going to, you know, quickly approach a career high in innings pitched, which I think we do have to keep in the back of our minds there. But until he, you know, starts showing sign of that fatigue, just keep riding him. Uh, his numbers might be a little deceiving. A lot of his expected like slugging and uh, batting average against he's getting kind of lucky guys are making some pretty solid contact off of him. So I don't know if there's going to be a little regression there, but even if there is a little, it's still a damn good, you know, three or four, especially when, uh, you know, the whole game gets back together and healthy in that rotation. He's never been a, high velocity guy. So he's not someone that I particularly worry about as far as Tommy John. Eventually John Lester was a horse, never had Tommy John. So I just don't know if Pavetta will be of that ilk, but just turned 29. We have him under control. Let's see. I think it's through. 2024 so um still got two more years after this one for some reason i thought we had one more than that but um like jason said i mean i think it it basically is high bloom's best trade ever at least with the red Sox. it took a while to to get there there was one other piece in the deal who is that it was uh, Connor Siebold. Oh, Connor Siebold, yeah. And yeah. he uh, tough to imagine he has a future as a Red Sox starter, but um, well, he actually just hit his um, best velocity since that arm injury uh, 
last game. So he might be starting to get it, get a little of his stuff back, which would be a huge development. I think he was hit. I think he was up to 96. I just think we're too crowded. I mean, is his ceiling higher than Winkowski's? Would you say? Yeah, probably similar, honestly. Yeah. I just don't know how we're going to, we're going to fit them all really. But, um, you know, unless you trade like maybe a James Paxton over the winter and just decide that you don't need him. I don't think that would happen, but I mean, I think something like that would have to, um, to, to get all these young guys up. I'd love to have a young rotation. Don't get me wrong, but all right. Uh, I did not tally my uh, stuff like I normally do. Uh, Rafi Devers blasting home runs still. Um, well, I guess he wasn't super. The t- he had two hits in the series, as it turns out, but they were both really impactful. Um, let's see. Xander Bogarts had a big series, hitting every game. Three for four in game two with a couple of ribbies. Uh, Alex Verdugo, uh, not great overall necessarily, but his uh, game two was three for five, four runs driven in. Uh, going down through the uh, the pitching, uh, Ryan Brazier quietly had a very good series. Tyler Danish, who Andrew hated being my stud, has his ERA down to three even. Just throwing that out there. Um Love to see it. Don't know how long we'll see it. Um, Hansel Robles had a good uh, appearance. Just gave up one hit, no walks. Uh, any uh, any thoughts on uh, honorable mentions? No, I just, I'm glad they could still win two out of three with Rafi being quiet. No, it's, <laughs> we, we've talked about it a lot. It's like, man, if Rafi Devers doesn't hit, does his offense do anything? And, you know, again, it's Oakland, so... It, it doesn't take much to, to beat them, but it's nice to see him. Like he can have a quiet series and the team can still win. So um, I think he's still second or no, he's still first in the league in total hits. So he's just been unreal. Doubles, so, yeah. series, You'll take it. He's up to what? 16 home runs, something like that too. Yep. I, uh, I also left out ref Snyder. Actually, I should have mentioned him. So he was four for six and has his, um, batting average North of 400. So, um, perhaps Cora will ride the hot hand for a little while. It's still, we're what, nine more days, uh, from getting Kike back, I think. So something like that. So we'll see. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on any of them? Um, no, not really. Jackie played pretty damn well today. That was a good one. Um, couple more hits. Um, and actually, you know, speaking of Jackie, watching Duran out there in center really made me appreciate, you know, Jackie Bradley even more in the jumps he gets. Cause it was, it was pretty evident, um, today that, you know, Duran just doesn't have the feel for center field. You think he's better as a corner outfielder? He's a left fielder at this point. He's a 40 future value at, at, as a fielder. It's, it's not good. Okay. Yeah. Um, too bad. I mean, he's hitting 300, so maybe, uh, if he keeps that up, he could be, uh, 
you know, in a in a trade package uh, in a month or so. Trade deadline's actually August second, so yeah, I guess we got about six weeks. But yeah, all right, let's get into the duds. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. Who's your dub for the series? I'm gonna make this one pretty quick. It's Ploiecki. Uh, no, you know, need to beat a dead horse at this point. He is absolutely a dead horse. He is. He has the worst pop time to second. Um, he has the worst velocity on his throws. He can't hit. I at this point, I'm thinking it's more of a clubhouse thing, and that's why they're hesitant to pull the trigger because he's providing absolutely nothing to the squad. And I, I, you know, Connor Wong could do whatever he does, and I mean, Connor Wong could be atrocious, and it won't be that much of a drop off. How is his pop time, Connor Wong's? I mean, it's got to be better. Okay. I mean, Ploiecki is literally dead last. Do you think he Wong would do a decent job at holding runners? Again, I mean, he can't do worse. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like one of those things. I mean, it, literally, it would be addition by subtraction at this point. And, you know, we saw Wong. He might not have the best arm, but he caught a couple guys last year. Okay. Vasquez has been unbelievable this year, and I don't think people are even really running on him that much. So I'm just curious. I'd like to see more of Wong anyway, but uh, Jason, thoughts on Pulecki? Yeah, I agree with Andrew. I think this is just a clubhouse keep at this point. I think if the Red Sox were riding high and they were in second place or you know, they had a much better start to the season, I think Pulecki would have been cut a lot earlier. I think that because they're in such a, I call it a fragile position where they are winning games, but all it takes is one bad series and they're going right back to out of the playoffs and a disappointing season. I think that Ploiecki sticks around because he is a clubhouse guy and he keeps a clubhouse morale high during, during moments like this. So, because otherwise he provides no value. He provides no value offensively, defensively. He's, one of the worst catchers I've ever seen. Um, and Connor Wong would give you a lot more, at least defensively, he'd be an upgrade. At the plate, who knows, right? It, he's been inconsistent from what we've seen. But, you know, at the same time, like, this is one of the guys you got in the Mookie trade. Like, at some point, you have to pull the trigger and call this kid up and see what you got there because you can't protect him forever. And, you know, he's not, a, he's not like, it's not like he's 20 or 21. I think he's like 25 years old now. So at some point, it's like, how much longer are you going to keep this guy in the minors before you give him a shot? So if I'm the Red Sox, I, I get rid of Pulecki. I call up Connor Wong, see what you got there, give him some playing time because Pulecki's giving you just absolutely nothing. In 2021, he had a decent bat. He hit 287 with a 349 OBP. He was able to slap a lot of singles through the the right field gap, and I, I saw value in that. And this year, he's just been brutal at the plate. He's hitting 141, uh, no power at all. His slugging percentage is 203 just his OPS plus is 26. I didn't know it could go that well. Um, just, just absolutely 
no value. I mean, that, that is what it is. I mean, pitchers aren't pitching particularly well. Like he, he doesn't have a perfect match as far as pitching to where you can identify, you know, a big game where you're like, okay, Pulecki's going to catch him because pitcher a is just amazing with Pulecki. There's, and then the, like I said, the offense is down. There's, there's nothing. There's no reason to keep him at this point. And if you don't envision Connor Wong being an everyday player, I don't know what they're going to do with Vasquez. So I guess maybe, maybe next year he might be envisioned to play three out of every five, maybe four out of every five. I I mean, I don't think so, but I I just, I don't see the point in keeping him down there uh, any longer. And I, I don't have his game logs up in front of me, but he was hitting like 353 over a three week period, uh, coming into last week. So, um, I don't, I don't see why they, they, um, have him down there. Jason, you're uh dud for the series. My dud is Hirokazu Sawamura. Um, and it's a little bit mean. I'm picking on him a little bit and look, the Red Sox bullpen has been kind of a train wreck all season long. But Sawamura, two games in this series, really didn't look impressive. Came in in game one, um, you know, or no, sorry, he came in in game two. You know, an inning, gave up two hits, didn't strike anybody out, just was throwing stuff right down the middle, it seemed like. And then today's game, Rich Hill gives you a pretty decent performance, only gives up three runs. He leaves the sixth inning with runners on base. Now, partially this is on Alex Cora because Alex Cora decided that Salamora should be the first guy out of the pen with runners on base, but he brings in Salamora. He immediately gives up a double down the left field line, drives in a run, makes it four to one at the time. Red Sox lose four to three. So I, I just think that Salamora is one of these guys that he just, even if you give him a clean inning, it's never a clean inning with him. It, it, there's always going to be runners getting on base I feel like he's too heavy with pounding the strike zone because he's afraid to walk guys. But as a result, he gives up too many hits and gives up too many home runs as well. So I don't know if that's something that they can teach him because he's not a rookie. He's, you know, he's an older guy. So it's going to be tough for Salamora. Like I, I don't hate the guy. I'm not looking to get rid of him per se, but they've got to figure something out in terms of how they use him because he's clearly not good with inherited runners. And I don't think he's good in high leverage situations either. So they've got to figure that out because like, if he's just a guy that you can only bring in when you're up by like 10 runs, that's not an effective reliever. And you've got to upgrade that position, particularly if you're going to hunt the playoffs. So hopefully they figure it out, but I'm not sure what they're going to do there. Yeah, he's been – sorry, my audio is about to change for everyone. I don't know what the hell just happened to my uh, my tablet there. Um, he's got to figure out something because he's got nasty stuff, but he can't harness it. It's not – it's nothing you can trust at this point. I'm a little shocked, and maybe it speaks to where they are with, you know, Frank German and Jacob Wallace and guys like that and – Mata when he comes, you know, finally fully rehabbed. I I just don't see a long long term outlook for Saramara. I think he's on borrowed time. 
I said the same thing about Brazier, but apparently he's, I don't know, maybe juicing. Who knows? <laughs> I said it sarcastically, but he's been pretty good. Um, I just don't foresee a situation where he's on this team past July. They'll they'll be able to trade for someone. Um, and it doesn't even have to be anyone that good. It could be an Austin Davis type. They have plenty of guys that, you know, they'll have to get off the 40-man because they have 40-man crunch coming up. So, Stellar should enjoy the time that he has in Boston because it, it's not for long. He's got a 295 ERA. I mean, he's doing better than I thought. I was extremely pessimistic on him last winter. I'm like, if he doesn't have a splitter, what is he? What do you have? You got a you got a guy who's gonna have a fastball that everybody's gonna be sitting on, and I do get frustrated with Cora because I agree with Jason. I don't think he should be used in with runners on. I think he at a minimum needs a clean inning, and. Cora loves him. I think that's what our problem is right now. I think he's just very high on Alex Cora's trust list, and I don't know why. There, There is usually someone better to go to uh, in, in the spots where Salamore is being used. Yeah, totally. I, I just I don't understand why he's the most trusted option. Again, it was a close game. It was a three-to-one game with runners on base. Like, I guess Oakland? That's a game that you should look at and say, we can come back and win this. So all we need is someone to get us out of this inning clean and let our offense take over. And for Salamora to be the first guy out, knowing that he struggles with inherited runners, I, I just I question that decision making a lot from Alex Cora. I, I I hated it when it happened and the results speak for themselves. Uh my dud for the series. It wasn't a terrible series for him per se. Uh, he, he did have uh, two hits in game two, uh, drove in a run as well, but Trevor's story's just been painful uh, outside of that game lately. I mean, let's see. He was, uh, I didn't tally my sheet like I was supposed to. Uh, let's see. So two for 13 this series. He had three strikeouts in the finale, flirted with a golden sombrero, uh, struck out just once in game uh, two. And then in the opening game of the series, struck out twice, was 0 for 4 that night. Um, we're seeing I, I know he's going to get better and this is eventually going to work itself out, but we're seeing like vintage Jackie Bradley streakiness with him where the mountains are high and and the valleys are low and it's just absolutely frustrating to watch in the third game today stranded a ton of base runners, a ton of base runners. There were several opportunities to win that game story goes over five. He's got to figure it out. There, there needs to be some consistency here going forward. So, uh, go ahead, Andrew. 
Yeah, I think it coincided with that dive he had in shallow right field where it looked like, oh, crap, that he just, like, really hurt himself. Um, he hasn't really been the same since. I'd like to give him a couple days off because he's clearly pressing at this point, and he might be somewhat banged up as well. So it's not an ideal time. You wish you could wait till like, Detroit, but, you know, sometimes you have to take – the you know longer picture view into into play here i think you ought to send him for one or two days although well, you know a royal being down kind of screws you over there a little bit so i'm not too not too positive what they'll do to uh to maneuver around there but i they got to figure something out there yeah it's it's really a shame that arroyo landed on the covid il when he did because i would love for trevor story just to get 10 days off you know, if, if he is banged up from that dive, if that's what it is, even if that's not what it is, you know, we've talked about the phantom IL before. Fine. Put him on the IL for 10 days. He's not giving you anything offensively anyway. But with Arroyo out and with our ooze suddenly gone, like, who the hell is going to play? Is Ref, Rob Rothschild going to play second base every day? Like, he probably could. But, you know, I, I think we all know what will happen there as high as I am on him and as much as I like the guy. but we all know he'll get exposed if he plays every day. So I, I hope it's an injury thing. I hope it's not just Trevor Story going through another slump because April, he was trash. May, he turned it around. He was great. And now all of a sudden we're into mid-June and he looks like trash again. And I still worry about him catching up to fastballs. Like, feels like every strikeout he's chasing a fastball high. And it's like it's like Michael Chavis all over again, except the difference is Michael Chavis is actually hitting this year. So I don't know. He figured something out, but it, it's it's concerning what's going on with Story. I hope it's an injury. I hope you're right, Andrew. I hope it's from the dive, and I hope he's just a little bit funky after that. I don't know if he needs an IL stent at this point. Give it to him. Give it to him before July comes and that that brutal schedule comes because they're going to need him at his best for that July stretch. So hopefully that's all it is, but I don't know. I, I'm a, a small C concerned about Trevor's story. Trevor's story ranks fourth in MLB in strikeouts with 79 on the season. Eugenio Suarez, who we just saw with Seattle, is number one with 87. Patrick Wisdom of the Chicago Cubs is second with... 84 and our old pal Kyle Schwarber is third right now with 80 and then again story just one less strikeout uh than Schwarber interestingly Schwarber's having a really wonky season just for the heck of it he also ranks second in walks so Schwarber is third in strikeouts but uh, second in walks with 40. He's got a 212 average and a, and a 335 OVP. So his, his um, OBP is 123 points higher than his batting average. So, But getting back to story, he's got to figure it out. He can leapfrog all of these guys by the end of the weekend, you know, if, if he has a bad one. So... Hopefully he gets it together. He's my guy. I I sang that all off season. And uh 
we got him, and he is striking out a ton. So, all right. Um, let's see. Let's go ahead and uh, get into the um, series here. We are playing the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm hoping we have pitching matchups. Oh, look at that. We do on the MLB site. Nice matchup on Friday night. Adam Wainwright, who's having a great season. He's five and four, but has a two eighty-four ERA up against Michael Waka, who's having a similarly good season. Both of these guys were actually teammates on the 2013 St. Louis Cardinals, who lost to the Boston Red Sox. So this is uh, an interesting matchup here. Uh, Jason, go ahead, lead off. What's your pick for that one? Yeah, I uh, I love Michael Waka. I want to go with him in this matchup, but Wainwright is just, he's finding that, like, that old man magic, you know, just having a great year. And I've always thought that he was the better pitcher than Waka throughout their entire careers. So I'm going to go with St. Louis here. It's it's more a pick just based on history and, and who the two pitchers are. I was not impressed with Waka his last outing. He was okay. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't the Walker that we've we've been seeing. And I do worry about regression to the mean with a guy like that. So I'm gonna pick the Cardinals here. I think Wainwright will will keep them in it. The Cardinals are a good team. They're on top of the Central right now. That lineup is disgusting. Paul Goldschmidt is on pace to win the MVP by a landslide in the National League. Arenado's hitting. Edmund is turning into a complete stud over there. So that Cardinals lineup has suddenly become very scary. Um, I, I don't love Waka against that lineup. So I'll take the Cardinals in that one. Cardinals had a day off today. They're going to be a little bit fresher. I think we might see a day or two off for some guys. I mean, shit, Devers might not even play the series. He got absolutely smoked on the elbow as flush as it could possibly be if he can move his arm tomorrow i'll be shocked so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be too surprised if he wasn't in there the one thing the red sox do have going about 10 minutes ago melina hit the il so he's gonna miss uh obviously this series which he is obviously you know a huge part of what they do and their pitching does so that that helps them a little bit but um yeah i i'm picking st louis in game one I'm going to take the Red Sox just because uh, well, if we, I'll, if I shouldn't say that if Devers isn't in the lineup, then I, I would take the, the Cardinals. But if he's still day to day, I'm going to, I'm just going to take the Red Sox in that one. Um, Waka was coming off the, the complete game in his last start. I think Andrew, you pointed that out. Um, and, it's it's tough to really follow up a complete game without you know a little bit of uh, a hangover there as far as fatigue and whatnot. But I don't think I don't think Wainwright's just overpowering enough. So I think our better hitters might uh, be able to knock him around a little bit. So uh, and Fenway, uh, as we know, hasn't been too kind to uh, Wainwright either, as well. So. Going with my gut on that one, taking the um, taking the Red Sox. Game two, we've got Cutter Crawford going up against Dakota Hudson. Jason. 
Yeah, I'll I'll take uh, I'll take the Red Sox in this one because Dakota Hudson has really struggled to get on the road. His last start, he gave up six runs against Cincinnati. Um, granted, I probably shouldn't talk too much flack because the Red Sox lost to Cincinnati too, <laughs> amazingly somehow. But uh, to give up six runs against that crap bag outfit, you know that's not a good sign. I don't know what you'll get out of Cutter Crawford. He looked really good his last outing. I really liked his stuff. Um, this could be kind of an ugly game where both starters get knocked out early and it's the bullpens trying to hold it together. But I, I think the Red Sox will pull this one out. So I'll, I'll give the dub to them. Yeah, I have the Red Sox winning this series. So, um, you know, I'm going with the Red Sox on this one. I liked what I saw out of Crawford. I mean, he did have four walks in in his last start, and I, I think kind of skated a little bit. I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with the Cardinals in in game two. Uh, game three, Andre Palante versus Nick Pavetta. Jason. Yeah, easy one here. I'm going with the Red Sox. Um, Andre Palante or I'll repronounce his name. Um, not not a big innings guy. His the most innings he's pitched was five and a third against Cincinnati, but you know his last outing two and a third against Pittsburgh, um, four innings against Chicago. This is not a guy who's going to go deep into the game. Nick Pavetta, as we talked about, has been basically your your one A or one B ace, whatever you want to label him as. So he's been that good. I think he's going to continue to be that good. I think he'll outduel this guy, and Red Sox should win this one. So I have them taking two out of three, and I think Nick Pavetta is going to deliver on Sunday. Yeah, Father's Day at Fenway. I think the Red Sox come out hot. Um, there should be a good vibe going in that ballpark. Uh, hopefully there will be an energy around Boston. Um, hopefully there's a game seven. I, I, I don't know. I think uh, Sunday could be a pretty good day, especially, you know, yeah, I think everyone has a day off on Monday too. So uh, we could see, we could have a pretty rowdy crowd um, at Fenway. And I, I think the Red Sox are going to really respond to that um, and take the series here two to one. It looks like Palante is just a uh, spot starter, very back end of the uh, rotation. He's only officially had two starts on the season. And. I can't pick against Nick Pavetta. Uh, so give me uh, the Red Sox in that one. Uh, we all have the Red Sox winning the series, just doing it in different games. So we'll take that. This is probably the toughest team we've faced in a while. Um, Angels were, you know, had lost 12 in a row before uh, we got to face them that second time. So, um, so maybe this will be a little bit of a teaser before the tough games start coming up against Toronto, uh, on July 28th, followed by, um, a very brutal July schedule. So everyone, uh, will wrap on that. Uh, have a good rest of your Friday. Deep dives will be out tomorrow. Take care. Yeah.